I won't move. The good news on the Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast this morning is that Mike Levin is not going to move. <laughs> you going to sit still over there, buddy? I'm sitting still. Um, good morning. Uh, Mike has promised in that he's a, a little more excited about the show, I think, today than normal. Um, I'm amped. To sound even more awake than he normally does, of course. Recording at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, but 6 a.m. West Coast Time. When 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 you eventually get hired to do your nationwide morning show, um, you, this is just practice for you to be up and up and at them um, and able to entertain so early. So just consider yeah. this like a warm up, right? Yeah, I just did like three lines of coke. So we, are, <laughs> we are just good to go. Uh, all right. Well, um, I'm trying to think. I know you wanted to talk about. Well, first of all, are we talking about your email? Yes. No. We're not talking about your email. Ooh, yeah. so it will live in a shroud of secrecy. Yes. That's even better. All right. Well, there's yeah. an email that uh, that will and, – and now this is all anybody will care about. <laughs> the email. Well, there was an email, an interesting email that I don't even know was in the email, but there was an email that uh, we won't discuss now, I guess. Um, I know you were very excited to uh, <clears throat> speak about the uh, – the uh, argument that I got into with the um, with the WIP yeah. morning show last week, and that I continued, unfortunately, on Monday night with my father, um, <laughs> which I believe in in his portion of the argument, he continued to prove exactly what I set out to prove in the very first place. Um, and then, of course, there was, and there's not too much news. There hasn't been much of any news in Sixers land this week, other than uh, Nerlens Noel showing off his outstanding flat top. On uh, on Tuesday and getting introduced and Sam Hinkie um, talking like Sam Hinkie talks um, sure. honestly, but you know not really giving any information. I guess the uh, the difference between him and other general managers at this point uh, in other sports, at least in Philadelphia, is that um, he is not deceptive in that he doesn't say anything that is untrue. He just doesn't really answer anything. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, it was funny. I don't know who it was. But finally, someone asked him about the coaching search yesterday, and he gave his normal, which is an honest answer. We're going through a process. I'd rather have the right guy than have the guy on time, um, and that's what we're doing. And they, whoever it was, was I, I, I legitimately didn't recognize the voice, was, uh, was like, but come on, why is it taking so long? And he was like... <laughs> I, you know, he's like, I don't know what to tell you, you know? Um, and one to sort of telling quote was... Um, about the plan, he was like, I think it's pretty obvious to everyone what we're doing here, which it, it sort of is, um, yeah. which also makes the, the fact that he doesn't talk, you know, uh, I think less of a big deal in that um, everything they do has been, everybody wants transparency, but they're pretty transparent in, in just about in what they've done. So I love it. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. So, uh, but, but, but you're, 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 Already trying to get away from the, the argument, okay. and I don't right. want to get away. All from right, the argument. all right, all right. So we'll start it over by saying, if and if anyone hasn't read it, um, it's on cbsphilly.com or just ask me on Twitter. And uh, I essentially <laughs> wrote, and what ha- what had happened was uh, this had been building. I had been thinking, you know, every time somebody had mentioned, um, there were a couple of beat writers, and I'd like to say, like I like and respect all the beat writers. If anyone on this podcast, if the one of the two of us, I'm one that generally will say, "Hey, their job isn't isn't always all that easy." Blah 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 blah. Um, I I agree with the job is not easy. 
Yeah, right. yeah. Their job isn't easy, you know, and, and like they get, you know, unfortunately, uh, a lot of NBA front offices like leaking things to national sources rather than local sources. So, um, but I've heard, I had heard a couple of beat writers uh, say that Hinky not talking is frustrating fans, that fans are frustrated by this. And then I had heard um, a couple of WIP hosts, including my father, including uh, Angel, like many of them, say that, hey, this is annoying the fans. And if there's one thing that I do every day, a lot, it's talk to Sixers fans. Like, you know, of of all my followers on Twitter, I would say like probably over a half are following because that's what I talk about. So I talk to them every day, all day. And one thing that I had almost never heard was any of them angry that Sam Hinkie wasn't talking. Um, so I wrote a thing that essentially said that the only people mad that Hinkie isn't talking is the media that the fans are not mad about this, um, and that the, that when media says this, they're mi- misrepresenting what the fans are saying. Now, to be clear, I didn't say that that um, I didn't say whether it was right or wrong what the Sixers were doing, and I did make it a point to say it does make the beat writer's job more difficult. But I would I try to be very clear in saying that that they are by saying that the fans are upset. That's not true. The fans are not upset. If anything, the fans are. Um, more positive than they've been in a while. Are there a ton of them? No. Uh, but the ones that are there are actually more engaged and more interested than they've ever been. And I like I have web stats to show it, you know, that they – now this may not last. It may not last for another two months. But right now, um, when there's Sixers news, they're interested in So that was what I wrote. Um, and then the WIP Morning Show invited me on to talk about it because Rio was not very happy with it. And Rio, who, by the way, has been um, a big supporter of mine, uh, has actually had you on uh, the morning show, um, is, is very blog friendly. Um, but they were unhappy with, with what I said. And I think during the interview sort of like changed my argument, like, like tried to um, paint it as that I was saying that um, that teams shouldn't talk to the media and so on and so forth, which I, I really didn't ever say. Um, and then, you know, and then they yelled at me. <laughs> uh, it's, so it's that's like what happened. Rhea, Rhea had you on and, and was basically like, you were a T-ball. And she was like, hey, Spike, come here for a second. Let me just put you on this, just this, like, T-ball tea, and I'll just smack the crap out of you. <laughs> like, that's basically what it was. Like she, she brought you on, and this is like, oh, you're going to just get reamed. Like you're, there's going to be no like, sort of intelligible conversation. It's just going to be, I'm going to put you here, and I'm just going to start smacking, and then just start smacking, and that's that was your that was your morning show. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now I, I I have a the morning show out of anybody here has been like they put me on a lot. You know they they like me and I have a good relationship with them and I, I definitely I knew they weren't going to agree with me. I definitely didn't see the vigor which which would they disagreed with me uh, coming, um, and clearly, you know, when you do a morning show and you, you try to host four and a half hours of content every day, when people don't talk, um, it does make it more difficult for you to do your job, and I certainly understand that. But that was exactly my point: is that it was making the media's job more difficult. It was not upsetting fans. Um, yeah. And I think at one point they said to me, you're thinking more like a fan than you are in the media. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's, that was that was my point, you know. Uh, and then when I fought with it with my dad, my dad came into the show on Monday night, like all just 
um, raring to go and angry, and you, because the Sixers called a press conference essentially during Eagle, the second day of Eagles training camp. Um, in a very obvious move, to, they, they just didn't want a ton of coverage. They didn't. They don't want to make a big deal out of Nerlens Noel. They know he's not going to play um, for at least half the season. And they, they don't want to – it's very clear that that's what they're doing. And he was like, well, you know, how are the fans supposed to care? And I was like, you, you, you don't understand. They, they don't care whether they have their 30-second clip on the news tonight. They just – or at least Sam Hinkie does not care. And if anything, they are doing things to um, – to combat that, they they don't want to be the top story right now uh, because I think they feel like they they can't live up to being the top story, which I think is actually a moderately savvy PR move. It doesn't make it any easier to sell tickets, but it does. You know, not having negative publicity, I think, is their if if I was to guess, is their their aim. I I just don't think you came at their right at their jobs. Not advertently, not, not, you're not saying, hey, beat writers, you don't really matter anymore. You're, you're, you didn't say, like, you are just a machine who can get quotes and repeat the quotes and then drum up narratives to surround it. You didn't say that. I might, but you didn't say that. So, but, but they can infer enough to where it's like, all right, well, if they're not talking, then, then what are we doing here? And while some people in the national media are have gone out there and gotten stories like David Aldridge and other people who have talked to Sam Minky, and I've talked to a number of people who have talked to Sam Minky. If you went to Summer League, you talked to Sam Minky. Well, yeah, and, and let, let me get it out there. Let me it's get it like, out there. The beat writers talk to Sam Hinky at Summer League. I know this for a fact. I know they all yeah. talk to Sam Hinkie. I know they've had numerous conversations with Sam Hinkie. Now, what Hinkie won't do is go on the record right. with specific quotes about things. But if they want background, if they want information to help form a story, that is out there. That is, you know what I mean? Like those guys talk to Sam. So the notion that Sam Hinkie is hiding away behind a shield um, and that they can't talk to him and that he's unavailable isn't is, true. It's yeah. not true. It's 100 percent not true. But but the they just want some quotes and and, and like it doesn't matter it just, it just doesn't matter uh, the idea that that Johnny Casual fan would be more interested in the Sixers if he heard uh, Sam Inky say what exactly what what's going to should should he say like this is the coach that we might hire but it's not. Sure yet? I mean, after last year, where we went a full year of setting arbitrary deadlines for when Bynum's going to be healthy and if Bynum's going to be healthy and if he's going to play and how his knee is, wouldn't you think that the organization would have learned from that and just said, like, we're doing everything that we can and we're going to follow the process and once the time comes, we will hire a coach and then you'll have a coach and that's it. But, but to give any sort of arbitrary updates, it's like that was that's all last season was, and that's why it was so terrible. Well, and you know, I mentioned this on the air the other night, and I I, I kept it, I feel like it's it'll be a wasted column, and no one will read it. Um, but the notion of and much has been said in baseball, most specifically about selective endpoints and arbitrary deadlines, 
And, um, you know, a selective endpoint in that over his last 13 games, player X is hitting 220. Um, yeah. And the reason they pick over his last 13 games is that if you include 15 games, all of a sudden he's hitting 268 um, and the statistic is no longer valuable. And basically yeah. what it shows is is that a lot of times when you set those – and believe it or not, even saying since May 1st is a selective endpoint. Like it is, it, it, it is no – we invented May 1st. You know, May 1st doesn't exist. And, I, like, I'm not trying to be too, um, you know, uh, vague about what I'm saying here, but, like, May 1st only exists in that a calendar somewhere says it's May 1st. You know, them playing baseball on May 1st versus May 3rd or, or April 26th, there's no difference there. You know, it, it, all of that is arbitrary. Now, right. can it show a trend? Sure. And can you find – at the end of this, you know, a lot of times in a baseball season, what you can do is at the end – you can look at the entire body of work and find a point at which it changed, you know, and then sort of create endpoints based on that. But until that point, they're, they're arbitrary. And th- those, um, you know, arbitrary deadlines like a coach, um, you know, there is no difference between them having a coach today and a coach four days from now because the players aren't here. There's nobody to coach. The roster is essentially set, uh, you know, aside from one player here or there. And, you know, the it's more important to have the right guy than have that guy's input as to whether you sign, um, you know, the last guard, one of which which one of three last guards on the market you'd, you'd like on your team. You know, it's not really his choice anyway. So and, and what I like it, what I liken it to what it is akin to is imagine a, a, a 13 year old girl. And a 13-year-old girl thinking about the rest of her life, and she thinks, by the time I'm 28, I want, to, I want to be married and have a kid. That's what I want to do by the time I'm 28. Now, she is setting that end point because of, you know, uh, because, of, because for no other reason than she looks in the future and she sees that, that 28 is a good number. Now, all of a sudden, when she's 27 and doesn't have a boyfriend, like, if she decides that that deadline that she said arbitrarily is still important, chances are she is going to make a bad decision with the rest of her life because she's going to go find a husband, whether that's the right guy or not, you know, and she's going to have a kid whether she's ready or not because when she was 13, she decided that she needed to be married with a kid by the time she's 28. And that is the same thing as saying the Sixers need a coach by now or if the Phillies don't win three out of their next five games, they're no longer in the playoff hunt. You know, again, another arbitrary, made-up thing. You know that that doesn't even really exist. Like these are but, things. But that's, but that's all the mainstream media does. It's right. Like, what's What's the best thing I can say? Like the idea of like triple doubles. It's like well, saying if you got twenty-five points, eleven assists, and nine rebounds, like you're somehow worse. Like that that one rebound really like makes the stat heavy it's it's picking arbitrary things and saying oh the, the Phillies haven't won in eight of the last nine Tuesdays like things that don't matter and like the Phillies have never beaten you know the Cardinals at home in the past 20 years well Dominic Brown wasn't on the team 20 years ago and Chase Utley right now I mean it's like guys that these are just arbitrary stats that the media drums up to make their point or stir a narrative where things it just doesn't things that don't matter is what the mainstream media specializes in. And, and some of those things are arbitrary deadlines and quotes on the record that can help write a story. And, and, and to... It just doesn't matter. It, well, and here's the thing, is that, 
You know, part of the problem here is that, and again, I mentioned this in the piece, but part of the problem here is that there is too much sports media. Now, this is coming from a person whose job exists solely because there's too much sports media. You know, like that is the reason I have my job is that sports media is a very big deal. There's a lot of pages, page views to generate. There's hours to fill on the radio. There's hours to fill on television, and they need something. And, and, and you know, to a certain extent, it gets difficult to do that without those things. You know, you, you just start – You say, I, I'm guilty of it. You know, you just start digging, and you're like, ah, oh, man. You know what I mean? Like I've looked into – like the Phillies are a perfect example. There's not that much to say anymore. That hasn't no. been said. Like you look at it and you're just like, okay, they're old. They're only getting older. They need to, to, to hit a reset button on some level. But I don't know what to say. Michael Young can't play third base. Don Brown's having a good year. I, what – like Ryan Howard's contract sucks. Like what do you – I've done these things. I've done them six ways to Sunday. I, I don't know how to write this anymore. And if your job is every day and, – and columnists' job are more difficult and beat writers' jobs are more difficult than they used to be for a number of reasons – uh, first of all, because you know people like you and me um, can do a lot of what they do by not having to go there. You know, like I can yeah. watch the press conference from my office. I can watch the game from my home. I don't need a. Pre- I have a press pass, but I don't. I don't need it. You know, I, I don't need which, it to watch every game. Um, which I think. I think. I think that's the crux of it, and it's because you know they build the relationships and they and they spend all their time doing that. But there's almost no difference in what we can provide the fan because it's not like they're saying, you know, nobody went out and said people weren't allowed to say that, you know, Doug Collins, Andre Iguodala had a ton of friction. Yeah. You couldn't say, you couldn't talk about that because it's like, you know, that's the code. That's the journalistic code. You, you keep things under the record until they are out and then you talk about it all you want. But I mean, if, if all the information is public, I, as person who does this part-time for fun, can give the same amount of information to the fan as guy who's been doing this for 40 years and went to school for it and builds relationships and all that stuff. And that sucks for them because they're working at it and I'm sitting here twiddling my dingleberries. Well, yeah, and if, if anything, you, we, I have a competitive advantage in not being at the press conference because I can interact with the fans while the press conference is happening. You know, like while they have to sit there and think of and, you know, ask questions, write things down. Um, and you remember, you're sitting at a folding chair at PCOM. Like you're not in a, a comfortable place where you can sit and watch Twitter and, you know, update your story as he's talking. Whereas I, I can, you know, if, if Nerland's Noel says something interesting, I can talk about that thing interesting right away. The beat writers are, and then not only do these things, do these factors make their lives more difficult, but they have to produce much more content than they've ever had to produce before. You know, it's not just your daily, it's not just your gamer and your three time a week analysis story. Like you're expected to make blog updates. You're expected like this, this is, you have to fill a lot of um, a lot of content, and it's harder. Yeah, you know, it takes more work. Um, and uh, you know, and the David Aldridge story is great. But the great thing about for David Aldridge is that he doesn't have to write this about the Sixers again for another, you know, six weeks. He's like, all God right, you know, I'm done. You know, and uh, you know, Bob Cooney or Chris Vito or Tom Moore, like 
they got to have something tomorrow, you know? And today there's a New Orleans Noel piece, but tomorrow, it, you know, it's sometimes it's just like, you know. So that, I think that's a lot of times why that narrative. Now, part of the reason they create the narrative and use selective endpoints is habit and tradition and sort of the way it's always worked. That's part of it. The other part, I think, is, you know, you're just sometimes there's just nothing there. Um, yeah. And that makes it more difficult, too. tough because they're expected to blog and they just weren't brought up that way. They, they were taught, you know, how to be a journalist. And in the last, well, especially five, but even as, as late back as 10, 15 years ago, things have changed so much since, since they were in school, since they were taught these things. So they're expected to blog as, you know, better. They're journalists. They're going to school for this. They're supposed to be better than than, than Liberty Ballers, than Spike Gaskin, although you went to school for it. Uh, but because I've been doing this since I was 19, and I got a guy on my site, Jake Dvorsky, who's been doing it. He's 16. He's been doing it for a couple of years now, not for me. He just started. But, I mean, this is it. This is, we know how to do this. We, we're, I'm better at blogging than they am. They went to school for it. They're, they're doing these things they're talking, but I'm better because this is all I've done. This is, I'm not dealing with any sort of journalistic integrity. I have no integrity. There's nothing there, which I don't think is, you know, I don't think you need that when you're talking about the NBA. You're just, you're just blogging about the NBA. It's the Sixers. It doesn't matter. But this is their job, and they're expected to do something for a lot more money than I'm making for a service that is, that is not their specialty, basically. And and it's important also. To and it's know. hard. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying like that. It's, it's hard. It's hard for them. It's, it shouldn't. It, it's, it's an unfortunate circumstance for them because they're being asked to do something that they can't do. And now the Sixers are compounding that by not giving them free quotes and free stories to write about. They have to think even more. Well, and then the other thing that they have to deal with, and you touched on this, is okay. So they have bosses, right? And you write in a certain way. Uh, and I write in a certain way. Like you, you know, you have your, we all have our tone and our style. But it would be really difficult for one of those people um, to say, hey, you know, I'm not going to the presser. I'm going to write it in this style. Here's why I'm going to write it. And, and get away with that. Um, you know, I'm going to write, uh, I'm, you know, half of this is going to be snarky. Like you wrote a great thing the other day about what if the Sixers don't have a coach. It was hilarious. You know, it was very funny. I enjoyed it. But like, that on a on a news site or in a newspaper isn't going to fly. It's just not going to fly. It it would take a boss to, to to really just sort of understand to really just sort of shift the direction. Maybe they should do this, but it it's not up to the writer to say, "Hey, let's write this silly thing where um, you know fans are going to be able to to text in you know what play they should run." Like, that's a silly thing that exists on a blog. It's something that I would write uh, for CBS Philly, and, like, it would get no traffic because the people that go to CBS Philly, like, wouldn't even understand that I was kidding. Um, mm-hmm. I think the couple of times that I've tried things that – I remember I wrote a thing when Gus Bradley ended up not being the head coach of the Eagles, like, saluting the Gus Bradley era of <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles football. Clearly, like, totally in jest, tongue-in-cheek. And, like, the only comments on it were – like, like you know, what do you mean, Gus Bradley era? And I was just like, oh, come on, <laughs> you know. So they, um, so they, they have bosses that they answer to as well. Who and, and it's just my, and they have you know different. 
it, it's a mix of a platform. You know, writing for a newspaper and blogging are are very different things. I think um, sometimes they meet in the middle, and sometimes they're similar. Um, so yeah, I, I you know, if it came off as that I was saying your job is stupid, your job doesn't matter, you know, blah. it's not what I was trying to say. What I, what I was trying to say is that in my experience, and in this specific instance, and again, like. Everybody loves when the, the head football coach talks after the game. Everyone. Uh, whether it matters or not, doesn't matter. It, it, people love the quotes. They love talking about the quotes. It, it's the truth. It drives traffic. It drives listenership. People like it. I'm not speaking to that. What I was speaking to is in this situation right now, and this may be indicative of the way the future you know pans out and the way things go, but right now, like people don't care about those quotes. They don't. And it may mean that the Sixers make less news, it may mean that there's nothing to talk about, you know, and that might be it. Um, and it also may mean that those people whose job it is to produce that content may have to dig a little deeper and do some different things. So when um, – I, I even forget the guy's name because it, it was here and gone so quickly. But the Memphis Grizzlies assistant um, that, uh, that was rumored to be a Sixers candidate for a moment, like their player development guy. And nobody knows who the hell he is. I get that. Um, I get that. But if it's my job to write about the Sixers, then if that's the rumor, then I got to find somebody who knows him. You know, I might not be able to find him. I might not be able to get Hinky. I might not be able to get like whatever source is leaking stories out of the Sixers. But if I look at his history, I bet I could find somebody who worked with the guy who can tell me what he's good at. And as a, you know, because I'm, it's funny because I'm halfway between you and them, you know, like, in yeah. in every aspect, in age, you know, if they're, I'm 36, you're what, 23, something like 24? Yeah. Um, so I'm 36, if they're, you know, 40, mid-40s. So in age, I'm halfway between. I'm not a beat writer, but I do work for a major, you know, uh, media company. Um, you know, I'm I'm right in the middle. I see everything from both sides. I, I went to school for journalism. You know, I was trained that they were, but I, I've sort of... I got into it in a time when that's not really how it was anymore. So the, my style and how I attack it is different. Um, but but the future may be a lot more of that. And, you know, part of that, too, is that you know, the Sixers have more Twitter followers than any of us do. Um, and so do the Eagles and so do the Phillies. So if they want to, to get that press conference directly to fans and not have to go through the media and they not even need the media in that respect, well, they can do that. You know, they they have more access to those people, to their dedicated fans than than any of us do. They don't need us in that way. And and the advantage that that provides us and it's the advantage that that you are provided as a blogger and not having to face those people every day is that you can be more honest. You know, you, yeah. you, you don't you're not beholden to those relationships anymore. You, you want to do right by them. And, and, you know, and they the Sixers want to do right by the writers, too. You know, that organization does care about the media. It's not that they don't care. But the the advantage that it provides you is that, like, you know, half the writers, I imagine, didn't kill Doug Collins because they had to go look at Doug Collins every day and they needed Doug Collins for background. And I understand yeah. that. But if if the next guy is not going to give you those same things, well, then screw him. 
then write whatever you write. You want to write, you know, write whatever you see. It was part of why Kate Fagan, I think, fell out of favor a little bit is because she was maybe too honest in what she wrote while she was here. Agree with it or disagree with it. She definitely got to the point where she was like, well, this thing is not working and this thing is not working and this player is not working. Um, And then it, it makes it difficult for you to walk into that press conference room if you're slaughtering out Eddie Jordan and say, you know, that guy needs to be fired and you're one of, you know, four beat reporters that has to look at him every day, well that you know, that makes your life more difficult. And I, I think I think that's why Rhea and Angela got so pissed at you particularly, because you're one of them. Yeah. Even though, you know, I think you're more one of me, you've been around it your whole life, so you're one of them, basically, because you're that. And and for and for you to basically say, and you didn't say this, but they can connect the dots to you saying this, that because the fans don't care, it means the fans don't care about them. And there and there's a roadblock in their mind where they're like, if they don't care about me, then I don't matter. Then then who are all these listeners? And what what am I? Why am I? Why have I been employed for all these years? And Rhea kept saying, you wouldn't have a job. You wouldn't have a job. You wouldn't have a job. But it's not that the, the fans don't care. They just don't care about the quotes that don't matter. Right. And 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 that that is, you know, um you know, Angelo made the point. Look, I I've I will tell I have working here has been an eye opener for me um in terms of most specifically the morning show. And I've said this every time I've been interviewed and I have more respect for how that morning show works. Like they work their their asses off. Like that show is meticulously planned. It is um you know, Angelo's up. I I got an email from Angelo. I remember the other night I uh, I was on the air until like two. I got home at like two forty five, and I email from Angelo at two thirty. And that's not because he was up the night before. It's because that's when he wakes up. You know, like that's when he starts getting everything together. Two in the morning. Like they work their asses off. People love them. They have an enormous radio show. That you know, if that is one's goal, if that was to ever be my my goal to have a radio show, the success that they've had is 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 not even something that you can dream about. You know that it is beyond what what a normal success is. Um, but like, I'm not even sure what I was trying to say there. It's like I. The, clearly, people care about them and their take, right? That's what they do. Like, they are listening. I, I think it's even a credit to them. People that are listening to that show are listening for Angelo and Rhea's take on things. And not not uh, for the, the quotes from the general manager all the time. Um, you know, I think, I think it makes the personalities that deal with sports, I think it empowers us. I think this... Um, I think this, you know, another guy that's sort of in the middle is David Murphy, um, uh, who writes about the Phillies. And I feel like he's probably somewhere in the middle, too. Um, I feel like he's more critical than most of those guys are about the Phillies. Um, you know, I think not being beholden to that, to, to, to that sort of uh, avenue of doing things, to those general quotes and to that sort of access, gives you the ability as a, a personality, as a writer, as a, a broadcaster, to make your personality and what you think the most important, you know, here is my take on this, and here is why you should think this way, um, and and that's you know, that I think that is a I think it's a positive thing, you know, I it it might change how you know people think about doing things and how how uh, you know how you you present a radio show and. 
Um, I do think guests are great. You know, I, I I try to have as many guests on as I can. And honestly, if at midnight I was to score, if they were to say, "Hey, you can have Sam Hickey, but he's not going to say a word." Uh, you know, he he's he's going to do his normal Sam Hickey double talk, uh, but you can have him at midnight. I would say yes in a millisecond. In a millisecond, I would say yes. I'm not even saying to turn down those quotes, but what I am saying is that it does make. I do think it gives the opportunity for the the writer, for the broadcaster. Um, to make what they think the most – the crux of the story, to make the analysis, um, to make what you think is the correct narrative, the crux of the story, and not let other people create that narrative for you. And, and I think there's a couple other things in play here. One, uh, the people who listen to The Morning Show with Angela and Rhea are the people who listen to The Morning Show with Angela and Rhea. They're not everyone. And they're not the people that you were talking to in your article. People that are, people listen to that show listen to that show for as long as Angela's been on there. So they're old. They don't have they don't have to seek out any new pieces, new information for their news. They sort of just like they've been doing the same thing for years, and this is how they get their news, and this is how they get their stuff. And they're going to be pissed off only because Angelo and Rhea are pissed off. So, so they'll just they'll just agree with them because they've been listening for so long. There's, there's no like new. Oh, I'm going to check out this Angelo Cataldi guy. Well, I think he, you're wrong in that. that. I do think you're wrong in that. I do think that is the advantage of of radio is that um, m- you can stumble on to radio shows. You know, but like they've been around for so long. I mean, maybe you know. I, Right. The, the core of their listenership is people who have – I mean that's what makes them successful is the core of their listenership have been around a while. But I can clearly – like every t- – it's funny how people complain about WIP. It's like – it's mostly like young people. You know, It's mostly people in their 20s that complain about WIP. But every time I look at Twitter, it's those same people complaining about what they heard on WIP. And I think it's like, well, you know, clearly you were listening. It's the only game if it's the only game in town, I guess. I mean, I don't listen because I'm not there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll listen to you if I have literally nothing else to do. (laughs) (laughs) Which really makes you think, why are you listening to this podcast? Really, why is anyone... You know, is you know, lesser alternative of every other show. It's funny. I tell people all the time, they're like, da-da-da-da-da, hey, will you check out my podcast? And all I think is like, eh... Now, I wouldn't even listen to my podcast, honestly. <laughs> I wouldn't. I listen to I listen to Bill Simmons and I listen to Basketball Jones, and that's pretty and pretty much the extent of it. I mean, like you know, you're talking about somebody who consumes more sports media than that I than a healthy person should consume. Um, but I I still like nah. I'm not going to listen to your podcast. It's not that I don't. I'll talk to you about that very same topic that you were talking about on your podcast. But really, um, we're not going to really have much of a conversation about, um, <laughs> about, uh, about what happened on your podcast because I didn't hear it. You know, I'm not going to listen to the podcast. I can hear people clicking out of our podcast right now. Well, I can hear the, like, the exit. We probably deserve it, you know? Yeah. Um, All right, do you want to talk, talk about something else? Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an out. I'm letting you have an out. Okay. Um, well, I, you know, th- that's, that was that. I, like, j- in closing... Um, here is the best part of what happened on the radio is that people loved it. Like no matter what side they were on, I heard great, like I, I, I got more feedback out of that than anything I've done in my entire career, in my whole career, Mike, I've been working in radio since I was 21. Um, I'm 36. I'll be 37 in two weeks. I haven't heard as much positive on both sides, positive reaction from that. So it was 
Radio is about moments. It's about great moments. Um, and that was a moment that everyone enjoyed, no matter which side that they were on. So I was actually really proud to be part of a moment that people really seemed to enjoy. Um, and I love working with the morning show. And I, you know, I got to host the morning show two weeks ago, like hosting the WIP morning show. I've been doing sports media for a year and a half. Like, like that's not really, you know, it's not really something that most people get to do. So in closing, and this is not just me, um, tossing it out there and, you know, as some sort of olive branch, I really enjoy doing it. And I enjoy working with them. And like, I think they're all very good at their jobs, but like on that particular point, I, I do hold firm in what I said, and I do believe in what I said. Um, uh, and I don't know how this changes. Like over, you know, it's funny. Um, I was talking to Adam Regner, who produces the Overnight Show, uh, the other night as as I was about to sign off, and um, I was saying that you know, one of the reasons I like being on late at night. And I've talked to my father about this, and my father thinks I'm crazy. One of the reasons I like to be on late at night is that I can sort of do the radio show the way that I want to do the radio show. You know, Um, I can be more like me and it's I'm not like a podcast. You know, I won't keep somebody on for an hour and I understand how radio works. You know, I understand people are in and out for 10 minutes. So I have to reset. I have to say my name. I have to you know what I mean? Like things that you don't have to do in a podcast. This is not you know, if you've clicked on this and downloaded this and you're 30 minutes into it, you know who we are. You know, um, the thing that happens on the radio is that people stumble onto you and go in and out and, and don't always listen to you. Don't make it a point to listen to you. They just happen to listen to you. So things are different. But I like being on late at night because I can sort of pick and choose the topics I want as long as there's nothing huge. I can sort of be a little more laid back. And most importantly, I don't have to take an A or B side on every issue. You know, yeah. some issues I can be in the middle on. And um, I told Regner that's why I like being on late at night. And he's like, well... That's what people like. They like AMB. And that's true to an extent. But I do think that sports radio is defined by its personalities. And I think that the two defining personalities of sports radio, at least in Philadelphia, and I think this extends to um, across the country because I think they were like they were um, pioneers in this, are my father and Angelo. Yeah, and and they created AMB. You know, they created and, 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 I grew, and I grew up just hating them both. Yeah, yes, but but the, it, you had some sort of reaction, which is all they were going for in the first place, you know. That's, and, and and that's unfo- and it, it, it is unfortunate that that's the case because you know ESPN is not about sports anymore; it's about the argument, right? And but everyone I, has to take a polarizing side, and and I get that that's how you do to get listenership, but that's not the best way to have a discussion. Well, and, and I I, do, I don't think that it's necessarily the best way to create listenership forever. I do think that sports radio. And entertainment is defined by the personalities, you know? I think um, morning radio is not defined because of some archetype of what morning radio is. It's defined by Howard Stern, you know, to some extent. Um, You know, it's defined by the personalities that change it. So me saying I want to do the show I want to do is partially um, ego. It's partially selfishness. It's partially just like, you know, I do this all day, every day, and – I want to enjoy it if I'm doing it. You know, that, that's part of it too. But part of it is, is belief in I, am, I would rather put out this is how I am. This is who I am and how I am. And if enough people enjoy me to make me successful, that is wonderful. But being something that I'm not in order to be successful to me is no more enjoyable than being an accountant or – uh, you know, or you know, any other office job, accountant is just the first one to spring to mind. 
I do this because I enjoy doing this. I do, I do, and and I enjoy when people like me for, you know, who I am and and <laughs> and how I approach it. You know, um, you came so close to saying it. Yeah, me for me. You yeah, so close. I was it, really hoping you. But it's it it's the truth because I don't like being like well known. I don't like being famous. I don't like. I don't like. I'm. Not, I, I don't strive for any of those things. What I enjoy is being myself. And the notion that people react positively to that is sort of thrilling. That's awesome. Now, if if because I do it that way, I am less successful, and I you know I I, I don't appeal to a mass audience. Well, then that that sort of is what it is, you know. But that's sort of you know I hate to call what we do art, but it's sort of like you know that's the struggle that bands go through when you know they happen to write a catchy song, and the rest of their library isn't like that, and the only way that they can be successful is to write more like that one song. Now, some bands are okay with that. You know, they enjoy the success of it more than they enjoy what they were doing before, and that's fine. But some bands are like, well, you know, I kind of want to do my own thing, and I don't have another one of those songs in me. I don't have it in me to, to take a harsh side on one thing every single day. I just don't have it in me. I, I like I, It's not who I am, and I, I don't have it in me. Uh, it's some people do, and that's fine, but... Um, but that's why I enjoy doing it the way I enjoy doing it. So, so that's that. Um, and I, I assume I would do this if I had a different job. I would do like I would still do this. What we're doing right now, you know, there might be few fewer people that enjoy it or or want to uh, you know or know me for it. But I would still be doing this. You know, I would I would still be you know writing on the side i feel like I, I do it for fun um which i'm lucky that i get to do this for a job you know most people don't get to do that so so that's all i got on that i don't know what to talk about with the friggin' sixers the Netherlands noel uh seem like a you know seem like he's a um i don't know he didn't the seem hair a little, is so great the hair, oh, oh, we're, are we not talking are we not talking about your thing either no we'll talk about it next week when it's done oh man it's, it's a great thing. It is a great thing. It's a, I want to. I want to hear how it goes. Yeah, there will be. I want to have the reason. I want. Um, I want to. Uh, what's it called? The reason I want to wait is because I want to have the picture to go with it. You know, I want to be able to say to the people that go to the the post can can look and see what I'm talking about. So I want to hold that back too. Um, you know, every, every, anyone listening this far knows what happened in the press conference yesterday. Nothing, essentially. Um, I imagine there's like a, a, a rookie, um, like they, they, some of the rookies come back, none of the, not the vets, some of the rookies come back to work um, in a couple of weeks with the team, and I imagine that's when they'll have the coach by. I would imagine that is the, um, that's the goal, is to have somebody there to work with the coaches. Um, if I had to gamble, I think it's going to be Michael Curry. Um, which I'm I, I'm resigned to and okay with, but if I had to bet, gun to him. I don't know. Uh, and as much as quotes are jargon and and, and Sam, nothing Sam he says on the record can be taken as the God's honest truth. But uh, he was really adamant in the idea of building, you know, a system here. And having a guy here for a long time. And I think the assumption is that because it's taken a while, that they haven't found anybody they liked. But they could just be super thorough about it. I mean, if, if they're tying, if they're hitching a wagon to, to a guy that they really, really like. And, uh, you know, 
the the popular candidates are Brett Brown and Michael Curry. Um, and based on what he said at the conference yesterday, that's Brett Brown, a guy that will build with the team and that comes with the background and works his ass off. He's a player development guy. He's, an, he's, a, he's a workout guy. Uh, Michael Curry doesn't seem to be any of those things. Um, Rich Hoffman has, a, has an article coming out today about Michael Curry having done a better job than we're giving him credit for, and, and that's true. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that Inky views him as a guy that will be here for years and years and, and build a culture here. Um, I think he's sort of gotten just thrown in the mix because, because the, the people who have done this a while see him, okay, he's coaching the summer league team, he's been here before, he's under contract. Well, that means he must be here. Otherwise, it's, I mean, they'll, they'll see it as, like a, as an affront to, to Michael Curry's personality and to his to his hard work for the team, and so and so in typical old school mainstream thinking, their thing, their idea is that okay, well then it's got to be him. So that's what they, that, that's what we that's what we're getting. And I and I thought it would be for a year, as in do Curry for a year, lose 65 games, and then go into next offseason get a new coach. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think I really think, you know, I, I I might be buying into the quotes too much, which is certainly possible, but I think that they are just just taking their time. There's no rush. There's just no rush. There's no reason to rush. Uh, there's it's not like there's no leadership involved. I mean, Sam Inkey has is is going to be the leader himself, uh, and the players will play for who who they hire as coach. I mean, it, it's today is July what twenty fourth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Magic hired a coach last year, July 28th. They hired Jacques Vaughn, July 28th. And who did a nice I, job, by the way? I thought actually uh, they suck. But people, I don't like the Magic. People, people like the Magic. People like the idea that they're that they're in the right direction. I, and I think they are in the right direction. But uh, I think they're even. People say that they're further they're further along than the Sixers, and I don't know that I agree with that. Um, Anyway, uh, but but no one gave them the amount of crap that people are giving the Sixers. I don't really understand why. Um, but it's the idea that, like, them hiring a coach late last year didn't cripple the franchise in any way. No one's looking at Victor Oladipo and like, well, they hired a coach late last year, so he's just screwed. Like, it's, it, it doesn't matter. It, coaches in general, uh, to the short-term success, don't. No, short-term success, they do matter. I'm, I'm changing my point. Well, I, I, they, I, I, they, I think... They're not that, as important as, yeah, as people make them out to be. I think there are, like... Unless you have one of the top three or the bottom three, it's, you know, it's negligible. I think there are amazing coaches. There are some terrible coaches. Um, but most of them are in the middle. So, um, and the the only... Um, and then we got to wrap it up because i got to get out of the studio. But the the only thing I'll say to... The, the Michael Curry thing is, A, I think some of the local media is pulling for Michael Curry because they know him. And I think that's yeah. why some of the pro-Curry stuff is coming out there. And that's fine. If they, if they know him and believe in him, then that, you know, that's fine. They're perfectly uh, you know, they're allowed to do that. Um, and then the other thing is I do think that the optimal thing for Hinky would be to grab a guy he likes and give him a three-year deal with a team option for a fourth. But I do think that it's unlikely— that they would give a guy that they don't love that very same deal 
which is I think might make it harder for them to hire a coach that isn't already here. Um, if they don't love a guy, you know, if they only like him, considering how bad they're probably going to be. So I do think the possibility of putting Curry in there um, and and showing how promising they can be and then having that option to move on next year if they want to or giving Curry like a legitimate shot to, hey, here's your, you know, it's not like the guy is a failure after a failure after failure. He was a head coach for one year. He's done a nice job with the defense here. Like, you know, that's it. You know, he doesn't have, uh, his offense was not very good in Detroit, but like who's to say that um, with Hinky's guidance, you know, and sort of the addition of their thought that he wouldn't be able to grasp, right. you know, it's not a complicated system. You know, he, it's not like Houston ran anything complicated last year. You know, it was just that it was, you know, it was different, you know. So I, I don't think it's impossible that somebody, it's just, it's a matter of being amiable to learning about it. You know, that's where Collins failed is Collins didn't want to hear it. You know, if Michael Curry's like, look, I don't have any good plans on offense. We've seen this before. What do you got? Then that's, you know, that's fine. Then maybe he has a chance to be a good coach. So I do think that they would be less likely to give a good deal to a guy that they don't love, which might mean that they don't get somebody out of the organization this year. That's my only thought on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, we'll just kind of we'll see. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't it, – it's tough because I can I can write articles like, you know – What's the Sixers uh, secede from the NBA? Um, yeah, yeah. But and I can just speculate about it and joke around. But but there's things. It just doesn't matter. I mean, we'll we'll see when they when we see. And people will will keep making rumors. I mean, Lloyd Lloyd Pierce was a big rumor. Brett Brown apparently they hired people said they hired him on draft night. Yeah, the uh, Daily News reported it. Not only like yeah. not just somebody, but like New York Daily News, like a real. Um, so whatever, but it was funny. My dad was like, "I was like, why?" When I was fighting with him, I was like, "Why does there have to be a coach here?" And he's like, "To help shape the roster." I go, the "Roster's already shaped." And I was like, "Why are you so eager to have a guy that you don't even know shape the roster?" <laughs> I was like, "We don't even know who this is. Like, why do you want this person shaping the roster? We don't even know who the person is." Um, so whatever, I gotta go. Um, anything you'd like to leave the the people with? Uh. I think Danny, I think uh, Sam Hinkie sounds like Danny McBride. I just heard it yesterday, <laughs> and so now that's all I'm going to think about. That's a good thing to sign off with. I, and I'm I'm a little upset that I didn't get any any jabs in about you calling the Sixers a 13 year old girl. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you. You had a nice flow, uh, like like a 13 year old girl who has had her period has a nice flow. Oh, uh, so that is... I just want to I just wanted to make sure that I got something in there. On that note. Thank you, Mike. All right, goodbye. (laughs) See ya.